Hello and greetings and welcome to a happy place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. So happy that you are making us once again a part of your day, however you may be listening, wherever you are in the world. And thank you as well for spreading the news about the Live Happy Now podcast and uh, sending it off to your friends to listen to, sharing it with folks. Sometimes it can be a little tough to introduce someone to this subject matter if you think that they could use it in their lives. But you've been doing that. The numbers have been fantastic, and we are ever so grateful that you are helping us to grow the show. We're also thankful for our partners, Live Happy Magazine. Issue is on newsstands now. You can also get the digital edition at the Apple Store, the Google Play Store. You can also find more content at livehappy.com. We hope you do so. While you're online, you can also check out our other partners' website, lifereimagine.org slash happy. They've got all kinds of processes for you to work through, all kinds of resources for you to try out that will help you reach that peak happiness because as you awaken to the power of happiness so do your dreams so what's next we can find out more by going to lifereimagine.org slash happy well this episode we welcome back two of our favorite guests Susie Pelegi Pavelski and James Pavelski PhD Susie is a contributing editor for Live Happy Magazine and wellness counselor specializing in the science of happiness and its effects on health and relationships her 2010 Scientific American Mind cover story The Happy Couple selected by the magazine as one of its most intriguing articles James Pavelski meanwhile director of education and senior scholar in the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania and for the last 10 years, has served as the founding director of the Master of Applied Positive Psychology Program, the world's first degree program, by the way, in positive psychology. He's also the founding director of the International Positive Psychology Association. And in this episode, our co-hosts, our COO, our co-founder, our editorial director, Deborah Heiss, talked with James and Susie about achieving harmonious passion in your personal relationships. So I'm so excited today. This is our uh, pre-Valentine's Day podcast, so we're all looking forward to Valentine's Day. And I have two of my favorite people back on Live Happy Now today. I'd like to welcome Susie and James Pavelski. For those of you who heard the previous broadcast that we did with them, they specialize on romance and research. They are a married couple who are both, both in the field of positive psychology, and we had a great conversation with them before on gratitude and relationships. And this time, we're going to talk about a different topic. Before we do that, can you guys give us a brief explanation of your work on romance and research and how you got involved with it? Sure. Thanks, Deborah. Well, just over five years ago or so, I was researching the topic um, as a writer, and um, I was kind of amazed that in studying positive psychology, I didn't see a lot out in consumer media on how positive psychology can inform or hopefully improve relationships, and I figured there must be some research out there. So I ended up writing a piece for Scientific American Mind, and I found so much great research that it ended up becoming much larger than originally planned, and it became a cover story. So that was 2009 working on the piece, and since that time, um, the magazine has been even more interested in relationships, and they've been dedicating special issues to uh, romance and research and sex in the brain. And that 2010 cover stories actually um, should be on newsstands right around now in a special issue. So then James and I got on board together and we thought, you know, why not bring more of this research and put it together in a book, which we're uh, currently doing 
to help couples improve uh, their relationships. And it's not just for other couples, it's for us as well. In my view, we have everything figured out. You know, um, <laughs> I'm sure. Perfect, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the man who's um, never wrong. Um, so uh, I'm in a relationship that also is never wrong. He is a philosopher. Um, so. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's, it's, it's not for those reasons. It's because we believe that relationships are real and more important um, than being right uh, is growing and learning. And as we tell our five-year-old son, um, you know, which is more important, winning or learning? Uh, and ideally, you want to do both. But if you can only do one, learning is really what uh, allows you to continue to grow. Uh, and it's a, a, a human, um, a, an important part of human experience to continue that growth. So part of what Susie and I do is we um, do this work because we, we recognize that it's important in our own lives. We like to think of it as kind of a relationship, Jim, you know, we're kind of working out together. And we suspect that it's also important in other people's lives as well. So we kind of throw open the doors of the gym and invite anybody who wants to come in to work out with us in the relationship gym. So that's kind of how we conceptualize what it is that we're trying to do together. Well, I think it's a fantastic, um, a fantastic project, and I'm really looking forward to the book whenever, whenever you guys are done with it, because you're right. Um, all the positive psychology that's out there on how important relationships are to our you know, long-term happiness and our life satisfaction, our ability to flourish, and there really isn't a lot on romance um, from a positive psychology perspective and, and how romance uh, can be improved or enhanced. So I'm really looking forward to the book and, and reading about it. Last time you were on, on the program, as we talked about, we talked about gratitude. What do you want to talk about today in advance of uh, Valentine's Day? Well, Deborah, it seemed to us that uh, uh, a topic in positive psychology, a topic in the kind of in the air these days that it might be interesting to explore is passion. And so Valentine's Day means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, but one of the key undercurrents and sometimes uh, overwhelming uh, aspects of the day and this time of year uh, can be this notion of passion. And so we're encouraged to um, express our passion. We're encouraged to um, express this through gifts that we give to our beloved. Um, and there's a lot of commercialism involved with that as well, uh, obviously, too. But we're encouraged to be um, kind of uh, throw ourselves into this uh, romantic or romanticized notion of relationships, I think. And sometimes that kind of fever pitch of the passion gets so high that it's um, hard to function in a healthy way in the midst of it. Uh, we're reminded of Mariah Carey's song, for example, I Can't Live Without You, right? Yeah. So she sings, I can't live if living is without you. Uh, you know, I can't live I, and I can't give. I can't give anymore. So it's not just I, I can't live, I can't function. Um, if I don't have the other person in my life. And I think, again, there's a, there's a, a large part of this Valentine's Day tradition that is about um, being so dependent on the other person that if the other person isn't there, you simply would collapse and you wouldn't be able to function uh, as a human being. So as we think about Valentine's Day, um, from the standpoint of trying to understand what can be valuable about it for relationships, it seems to us that a good dose of the 
positive psychology of passion is in order. I agree with you. I mean, we were bombarded with imagery from uh, Romeo and Juliet to Homer, you know, <laughs> you know, where they, they started a war over Helen's beauty. You have this uh, pop culture view that love is this passionate thing that we can't live without and that we're totally almost obsessed with with our, you know, uh, our amorous, uh, our amorous nature of, of whoever it is we're pursuing. But that's not really healthy for all of us. I, I, I always think of it as these are movie relationships. You know, have the teenage girl who's massively in love with the teenage boy who just can't live without him. That's a, a, a movie script, not a real relationship. That's right. Exactly. And um, Bob Valeron is uh, really the key researcher in this um, area of passion. And his book, The Psychology of Passion, he talks all about that. And I think what you and James are just talking about, the pop culture sense, that's what he would say is um, an obsessive form of passion. Um, in his research, he has a model that shows the two kind, the obsessive, this all-consuming, where the emotions um, controls the person. And that really is um, associated with not trusting your partner. You might be obsessed with him or her. You know, you're kind of sneaking up on them, looking around. You know, you can't uh, be without them. You're, you're codependent sort of thing. And on the contrary, he has a healthier uh, form of passion, a harmonious passion, um, which I'll go into in a minute. But I just want to say something about the obsessive passion since we're talking about Valentine's Day and movies. Um, and people would probably be surprised to really learn in his research, he found that people who are actually obsessively passionate towards their lovers, um, not only are they insecure and, you know, preoccupied with the other person, but it's actually uh, worse for their partner than if they had no passion at all. And that's actually a, a really important point I want to underscore. You know, we, we sometimes we fantasize about, you know, wouldn't it be great to be with somebody who's really into me, who's thinking about me all the time, for whom, you know, I'm the oxygen they breathe and so forth. But to your point, Deborah, that, you know, that's kind of that kind of works better in movies than it does in real life. Well, as an introvert, uh, as an introvert, I can assure you that is not what I want. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. But and, and it turns out that you're not the only one. Um, and. And research has uh, suggested that women with obsessively passionate partners are actually less sexually satisfied than women who have different kinds of. So it's not just uh, it, it, it plays out in, in, in all of these aspects of our lives. It doesn't it's not healthy for us. And we're less satisfied, even physiologically, even sexually uh, in that kind of a relationship. The clear question is. What should we be talking about? What should, should we be pursuing when we're talking about passion? Well, we should talk about what Bob says is our harmonious passion, and that's where we're in control of our emotions. So we retain our identity. We have balance in our life, and that helps us to actually handle conflict better because, you know, there will be challenges, unlike, you know, this movie version. And it increases our intimacy um, because, Maintaining balance in our lives, having the interest we had, you know, before we met um, our significant other is really important. So you're not, you know, losing a sense of yourself. Um, by doing that, you know, you can really cultivate a more mature relationship that's not going to uh, burn out, you know, uh, when the flames die. So what, how does this present itself? What does harmonious passion look like? Well, first of all, I can tell you what it doesn't look like. We probably all know um, somebody, maybe a friend, um, that 
when he or she got involved in a relationship, maybe we bumped into the friend later and we said, oh, my goodness, I don't even, you know, recognize, you know, Jack or Sally anymore. Maybe previously um, the friend had a lot of, uh, you know, interest in sports or, you know, music or other activities. But when they became involved in this relationship, we never saw the person anymore. Um, They seemed very different. They kind of gave up their hobbies all to, you know, spend as much time um, with their partner. So that's something that an unhealthy passion looks like. A healthy passion, yes, of course, we're going to, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, you, you know, maybe miss your partner and you're thinking about them when you're at your desk. But, you know, months into it, years into it later, a healthy passion would look like you're spending time, of course, with your partner. But when you're away from your partner, you're doing things that bring you joy, that bring you contentment, whether it's, you know, engaging in your work life or, you know, some sort of activities interests, sports, you have friends outside of your relationship. So it's more of a balance. This doesn't sound very romantic. Does this mean that uh, romance is not really part of the healthy, uh, healthy passion? Uh, that's a good question, Deborah. So um, thanks for asking that. We, we certainly don't want to come across uh, as uh, portraying positive psychology or the psychology of passion as some kind of puritanical position that uh, uh, wants to make sure nobody has any fun or nobody has any uh, romantic uh, experiences or ecstatic experiences and so forth. Uh, Positive psychology isn't about kind of trying to level everything out to be just, you know, okay or fine. Uh, we still want to have the rhythms of life, and sometimes, you know, we're, we're, we're peaking in a particular day, and, you know, sometimes we're struggling. So, again, it's about real life. And relationships are like that, too. So there are times when um, it's entirely appropriate to uh, invest efforts into making something very special, uh, planning occasions, um, or just being spontaneous, right, and letting life kind of course through our veins, letting life course through the relationship. Um, So what we um, are encouraging ourselves and also those who are listening to this podcast to do this Valentine's Day um, is definitely to be passionate, to give passion, but also to be mindful about the kind of passion that we're giving, not simply to outsource passion to the commercial kind of interests and and just kind of let somebody else say for us what we um, uh, should be saying, Um, nor is it kind of to uh, feel bad about passion, but just to, to, to think about it in the overall context of our lives. And is this the kind of passion that um, that is healthy for a relationship, that is healthy for ourselves as an individual, that is healthy for the other person, uh, and that is constructive, that um, helps the relationship to grow in, in the longer term. So definitely, you know, um, uh, buy those roses, uh, plan the dinners, if those are things that are meaningful in, that, in the context of the relationship, but make sure that those are vehicles of communicating what is most important in life and that they don't kind of take over uh, and uh, obscure your own um, sense of yourself and your relationship in the, in, in, with your partner. Well, isn't there a certain element of uh, buying the roses and planning the dinner isn't really enough in terms of if that's all you do, but you don't sit down and have an engaging conversation or you don't sit down and spend time or really think about what the other person enjoys? If you do the pre-programmed, it's kind of like, uh, you know, buying a diamond engagement ring. Well, not all women love diamonds. Some like emeralds. You know, it's okay to step out. 
Absolutely, Deborah. I totally agree with that. And and the challenge is that, you know, what you do needs to be authentic, right? And so I think for some people, it's easy just to follow the script for what you're supposed to do and not have depth to it. And so that isn't even passion. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, again, just, just kind of following the script, just kind of flatly kind of doing what you're, what you're, what's expected of you, what's culturally expected of you, right? So whether or not for you, the language of your relationship involves diamonds or roses or cards or whatever, I think in a sense, that's beside the point. Those are vehicles of communication, right? Those are like the language that we may use, but what's most important is the meaning that is underlying that language, right? And so that meaning needs to be something that is about, uh, you know, the, the healthy side of things. So one way of getting clear about how to um, include healthy, harmonious passion in your day and in your relationship is, first of all, really understand yourself. And, you know, the, the uh, ancient Greeks uh, had this advice, know thyself. And so it's really important for each one of us as individuals to reflect upon our strengths and interests to the point that Susie was making earlier. You know, sometimes we tend to get kind of carried away in a relationship and forget who we are. Um, And that's not a a plan for long-term success in a relationship. So we really need to, to, to remember and to be clear about what are our internal passions, what are our interests and strengths. And then a second piece of that is then to write down and share with your partner reasons why you love him or her and why you value your relationship. So it's appreciating your partner's person as as an individual self, right? And then appreciating how you come together in a relationship. So sometimes I like to think of this as the, the difference between, you know, a kind of obsessive relationship can sometimes be a kind of lean-to relationship, right? So each person is leaning on the other, uh, and they're they're relying on the other person. And if the other person should go away, they would collapse. So the only thing that kind of keeps the relationship together is this mutual codependence that is very fragile. And you know, any kind of um, uh, uh, stressor can make both collapse. And and so neither one can can be strong to help the other one up. Versus a kind of relationship that is, you know, two pillars side by side. They're strong in themselves, um, and yet they're working together to uphold the relationship that we can think of as the, 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 the roof, perhaps, that they're both holding up. So it's important for each pillar to have strength and to be collaborative and interdependent in achieving the overall goal of supporting the structure. So similarly in relationships, it can't just be a matter of me absolutely in some kind of desperate way grasping the other person, holding on for dear life, because if I lose this person, I can't live anymore and I can't give anymore. Rather, it's a matter of understanding myself as deeply as I can, understanding the other person as deeply as I can, and understanding what it is about the two of us together that makes us better than we would be simply individually. And I think to James's point, um, you know, autonomy is very important. So both um, people in the relationship really have to make an ongoing effort to first understand themselves and to understand their partners. So, um, Deborah, you mentioned something about, you know, just this rote given of gifts and so forth. But, you know, what about 
conversation and expressing your interests. I think once you really have those ongoing conversations and there's no, never really an end point, you know, it's a process because we continue to evolve individually and, you know, also together, you know, as a couple, as a team, um, then, you know, the next step you could start doing um, – joining your partner in activities that you both enjoy. Again, this is for uh, connection. It's not about competition. Um, research shows that when you do fun, exhilarating activities, it actually boosts uh, mutual attraction um, for the couple. And also, trying novel things. I mean, it's fine if you like to do, you know, you have some rituals, maybe go to the movie every week if that's what you enjoy. But it's also good to try something new. Um, like we might want to try, you know, a new recipe when we're cooking in our relationship. Again, taking your partner and yourself's interests. Um, it's not about competing. So if, you know, you're a competitive athlete and, you know, maybe you're married to more of a bookworm who doesn't like to, uh, you know, uh, do intense athletic endeavors, that's probably not the best thing for your relationship. Um, you know, research shows when the ego is getting involved and it's, uh, you know, sort of uh, more about winning, then, you know, often the uh, relationship starts to struggle. But again, just really knowing yourself, knowing what you enjoy, um, knowing what your partner enjoys. Sometimes we get lost just in our lives, not just the relationship. We kind of forget what do we enjoy. I know James and I like to talk about sometimes when we were kids, what were those things um, that really brought, you know, sort of um, excitement to your day or, uh, uh, you know, something that you just were always interested in maybe. And that's the way we found out we both loved um, mountains and climbing. James did that as a kid, and I love, you know, climbing just, you know, up in New England. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't know those things about each other if we didn't take a time to, um, you know, kind of reflect on that and then communicate with our partner. I love the image of uh, two pillars holding up a roof, the roof being the relationship with the uh, relationship you know, being held up by two individuals rather than a lean-to. I think that's a great visual. And I also think it, it, it's really important that you engage in activities that people enjoy, not simply um, adopting your partner's activity. I, I see a lot of early relationships, particularly when I was much younger. It's like, well, why do you do that? Well, he likes to do it. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. but <laughs> what what does he do? What do you do together that you both enjoy? And um, for my life, my example, my parents have been married 50 years. And one thing that I've always enjoy, enjoyed knowing is that they both like to be outside. They go fishing together. We went camping together as kids. They have that mutual enjoyment, even though they have separate friends. My father prefers hunting. My mother prefers fishing. They have that common interest, which is really held them and the family together is that their leisure time is spent doing stuff that they both enjoy. So in light of all this research that you guys are doing on romance and passion, is there something that's special that you guys have planned for Valentine's Day? Well, something that James and I uh, discovered early on that we both really enjoy is poetry. Um, he more reciting it because the performer side of James, um, you know, he likes to recite poetry. And fortunately for him, I love listening and I like reading it. So um, what we decided to do, um, this will be our uh, second symposium, too, 
James can give you the philosophical background, but last year um, we had a really fun time. We invited close friends and family to come with their favorite love poem and dressed as their favorite uh, character. It could be out of uh, mythology or history or real life and share a love, love poem. And then being a very uh, more of a social person, I guess, um, I was happy to open our home and, you know, have food and drinks and kind of the ambiance of the company. And for James, having more of the, you know, intellectual conversation and learning about, you know, uh, what, what poems people find inspirational, especially in light of his work in the positive humanities, it was something we really both enjoyed. Uh, one of Plato's dialogues is called the Symposium, and in that um, dialogue, in that setting, they had um, had a little bit too much of the obsessive passion, shall we say. They had they'd, they'd been out drinking the night before, celebrating the uh, success that one of their company had had. And um, so that day, they, just, they said, you know what, let's not sit around drinking. Instead, let's each give a speech in praise of love. And so when I was in graduate school, my roommate and I um, hosted a, you know, we invited people to come and bring their own speech in praise of love. And so Susie and I have done that now. And it's really fascinating to give people a chance to, again, it can be something they themselves have done. It can be something that is, a, you know, that they're bringing a, a poem or, 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 or other special, uh, an object to, um, to describe. And it, it allows people to connect in ways that uh, we often don't. So I think that just kind of as a, uh, a, a kind of a takeaway for people who have joined us um, today, Deborah, is that you don't have to have a passionless Valentine Day, Valentine's Day. And in fact, we would encourage folks not to have a passionless Valentine's Day. And sometimes that can happen when we get overwhelmed by the commercialism, commercialism and just do what we're, quote unquote, supposed to do. But it doesn't really mean anything. Right. So don't have a passionless Valentine's Day, but also don't be obsessive about the passion. Uh, don't feel like you need to be in a relationship where you can't live uh, without thinking about the other person 24-7. Instead, focus on harmonious passion. So think about the authentic passion, the authentic interest that each one, each person in the relationship have, and then think about how to share it with each other. And then sometimes it can be a, a great thing as Susie and I have discovered also sharing it with others, giving people the opportunity to, again, authentically communicate with each other about what love means to us, about who we love, about why we love, uh, allows us again to experience passion, I think, in a much deeper and more sustaining way and helps the relationships uh, to grow in ways, again, that are uh, long-term, but also that have a lot of zest along the way. I think that's great advice. Um, I, I love the idea of authenticity. I know that authenticity is uh, one of the things we talk about a lot at Live Happy and just being our authentic selves, but not just as individuals, but also in our relationships. I want to thank uh, Susie and James for being on the show again, and I, and I look forward to having them back. We could probably talk for hours. Thank you both. Thank you, Deborah. Thank it's you, always Deborah. great to talk with you. 
Fascinating stuff, as always. If you'd like a free sketch note of this episode, you can find us at livehappynow.com. And while you're online, take the opportunity to reach out to us and let us know what you're thinking about the Live Happy Now podcast. You can tell us about things that you've taken away. You can tell us about things you would like us to put into the Live Happy Now podcast. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, Instagram by searching my live happy or you can send us an email podcast at livehappy.com just let us know what you're thinking for everybody involved in this edition james pavelski also Susie pelegi pavelski deborah heiss i'm jr houston saying so long thank you and remember to always live happy